0: Why did the moron throw the clock out the window? Why? Because it reminded him of Richard Clock, the man convicted of knife raping his wife. Good God <laughs> you almighty. Know. Jesus. You used to be soon. all right. I'm sorry, I didn't know that one was coming. The Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast. Top of the morning. Welcome to the Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast, the only sneaker podcast that doesn't talk about a bunch of bullshit before we get to the sneaker talk. I am your host Sockjig, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sockjig. First off, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who bought a pair of the Game is the Game black socks that I released. You know, the support is really unbelievable. You know, it's amazing that how many people want to buy the socks that want to take photos and share photos with me and really appreciate the quality of the socks. Thank you again. I can't say thank you enough. It's amazing. And I promised there will be some new socks soon. I really only can do them once a month or so, and that's based around my schedule and how much of my free time I have to spend on this kind of stuff. I always say I can only really do one thing at a time. Anyways, onto to today's podcast. I had a couple of quick topics that I want to talk about First off was the Nike lawsuits over customs. Uh, What's going on with those CCS and Wawa giveaways. Warren, Lotus, Geiger, and how they're all kind of related. Uh, I also had a few tweets about gatekeeping that went around, so I'll talk about that as well. And also about fakes. And fakes is one of those topics that comes up every few months, that it seems. And it's kind of exhausting to talk about. So I will quickly recap my thoughts on fakes. And some of the tweets I had about it recently. But the main segment for this podcast is the debut of Mr. Brightside, the podcast version of it. So I asked callers to submit their worst sneaker L and I would give them a personal Mr. Brightside. So I had a few calls in. I thought it was pretty fun. And just thinking about the Brightside stuff, I started making a list of all the pain that we go through as sneakerheads wanting to get dope kicks. So I made a list and I rank them in order of pain, which I call the SNEAKER PAIN RANKINGS. But first, I start with what I've picked up lately, what I've missed out on, and what's on feet. On feet recently has mostly been the Salehi Water Be The Guide 2002R. I, I picked this up on GOAT one random night when I was drinking and I had GOAT credits to spend. So, you know, I took an L on retail, which I've probably mentioned in previous uh, podcasts. You know, I remember first just being disappointed that the mock-up looked better than the the real photos once it, the real photos were released. Uh, but Salehi really did a good campaign with these. He always had uh, lots of photos posted on his Instagram. Uh, you know, he seeded and gave it to the right people, and they are always wearing it. And so he'd always repost those. And they were always wearing good fits and showing the shoe, and and the orange color that I was probably harsh on at first, uh, you know, really does pop, uh, especially in hand. And, you know, the best thing about the shoe is that it's super comfortable. You know, listening to previous podcasts, I probably mentioned that I wore the the orange uh, 70s carpet one a lot as well, too. And I wore this one on vacation, and it's probably in my top three for best sneakers of the year, which would be the Ama 3 and the Travis Fragment Jordan 1 Low. For pickups, I somehow hit all three of the easy slides on the Confirmed app, uh, or the Adidas app as they have it in Canada. I got both Sakai frags, the, the fragments, the, the grey and the navy one, and I'm not a huge fan of those in hand, so uh, I'm going to put those on the two-cell pile. I got the Rick Owens Converse Weapons that I also posted on my Twitter. Uh, Converse Weapons is one of my favorite shoes, Uh, I've had it in high school. And I'm glad to see it's back, and it's not really back in the OG shape, they have some sort of new version, it's called CX, so I'm not a fan of that, but the Rick Owens one has the kind of OG upper, but the bottom is this big giant thick sole, and it's got the classic Rick Owens, huge tongue. So It's probably going to be the cheapest Rick Owens type shoe that you'll uh, ever find. And last pickup was the Travis Fragment Low. I just paid the price and got those. You kind of have to complete the set. I'm glad I got them. You know, I went on this uh, vacation and I took the Slahy shoes with me instead of the Travis Fragment Low because uh, a Jordan one is just not a great all day walking shoe. So the Slahy one uh, worked perfectly for that. In terms of misses, I missed out on the lightning fours. It was one of those shoes where if I hit the raffle or, you know, it added to my cart, I would have checked out, but I didn't. And so I'm not going to chase it on a resale afterwards. Uh, just move on to the next one off white dunks. I think I already talked about this. I, you know, if I don't really have any chance at a shoe, cause I don't have sneakers, uh, here in Canada, I put it completely out of my mind. And so I'm not going to chase a shoe that I really had no shot at. And it seems like there was a ton of them out there. I saw some, you know, stock monitor saying that there was like 10,000 a day being released. And you know, I'm curious about where the resell will land or if it'll ever shoot up to a certain, like, you know, $1,000 level or not, just because there's so many of them. Say you wanted one of those shoes and it's got a, you know, an orange lace and it's going for $600 say on the apps. but the one with a coral lace, which is, you know, slightly off is going for $500. You're most likely going to go for the $500 one. And so because there's so many options there, I'm curious to see if they will all kind of keep the resale value at a certain level. Finally, the last miss was the Joe fresh goods, new balance, 990 V three. Again, this is one of those shoes where if I got it at retail, great, uh, but I'm not going to go chase after it after the fact. And I was, I've been a little bit critical about it on Twitter. Really, it's basically two things. One, the photo—the fo- shoe doesn't photograph that well, so I'm curious to see what it really looks like hand. Does it look like shit, or does it look like... Or does it really pop? And the other one is basically the concept, I, I think, was great, but ultimately flawed. And what I mean by that is... He's out here saying, you know, I'm not like them on the people. I'm, I'm real. I'm out here. I'm making a shoe for the people. And he makes a commercial that kind of is geared totally around that, which is great. Uh, he, you know, that was all a success for that part. But if you're going to make a shoe like that, and then you not have a perfect release, especially when we've seen a perfect release with Aman Maneer 3, um, the bar has been set basically. And he got there most of the way, but not all the way. On his own site, he just did a raffle one for uh, Illinois, and from what I heard, he had about two thousand pairs uh, allocated for that. And then there was a global one. I don't know how much was allocated for that, but I didn't see that many winners for the global one. I saw a few for the Illinois one. You know, so it is possible that you know he had say ten thousand stock, and he did what he could to get as many as possible made. You know, the the collaborator doesn't always have a say in that. It's New Balance. So, you know, when I say the concept is flawed, I'm kind of, it's shared between those two parties. When the shoe went to stores, to retailers, most of them had a size run. You know, that's nothing. For the actual New Balance site, when they did a queue it, I saw people who said they got in queue, they were number like a 100, and the shoe was sold out that means they released less than a hundred on the new balance site. That's not exactly getting it in people's hands and to cap it all off. Just the other day, there was a restock on his site and there was no alert on Twitter on his Twitter or on Instagram or on stories where, you know, people might've have alerts on nothing. I didn't see an email. I had signed up for the emails, but I didn't get one. Someone in my replies did show me that there was an email sent out. So, Even there, something was mishandled where some people get emails and some didn't, and even if you did, most likely they were probably gone by then because, because emails take, you know, a few minutes to propagate through, to come to you. And most of those shoes went to the people who were sitting on monitors and uh, got the notification. Of course, the people who sit on monitors all day are people. I'm just saying it it just all went to the people who already have an edge and not to the people that you're kind of highlighting in the commercials and i think i saw that balco even had 100 150 checkouts as well and that's why i say ultimately the concept is flawed if the shoe is for the people it's got to go into the people's hands stores can't get a size run people who are going on the official new balance site who are in 100th place can't get an out of stock message it's got to get into their hands and ultimately It went into the people in chicago and illinois hands, so that is you know at least some part of a success but overall but overall most people did not get the shoe i want to talk about a few quick topics before we get into the main bright side stuff first i want to talk about nike lawsuits and customs and john geiger first thing i saw is that ccs had a custom giveaway and it got pulled and then later this philadelphia food market chain called wawa also had an idea to do a sneaker custom air max 90 sneaker giveaway and i even then guessed that it would probably be pulled because the ccs one got pulled another one for me i was right it did get pulled and there's no confirmation on this both of them just deleted all their social media about it but My guess was Nike basically said to them, hey, cut the shit. You can't do this. And I'm pretty sure that it's connected to ongoing lawsuits that they have uh, in the courts. They don't want to go to court and have the defendants' lawyers bring up that, hey, look, all these big companies like CCS and Wawa are doing customs and they're giving them away. Uh, It's a normal thing that is being out there and Nike's not doing anything about it. So, Nike's got good lawyers, and they said, cut the shit, you can't do these giveaways. Then, posts get deleted. Which leads to, you know, the suits that are actually in the courts, which is the main John Geiger one, and the La La Land one. Honestly, I don't want to get too deep into it, because, frankly, it takes too much research, and ultimately, I don't care that much. Uh, But the really short version is, you know, the Air Force One came out in 82 or so, and You know, to tie into Bape and the Bapesta, in Japan, trademarks and trade dress, I guess, expires after 20 years. So that's why Bape released a Bapesta in 2002. And really, there was a bunch of knockoffs in that time. Uh, Even Supreme had one. Nike finally got all their stuff in order and got the official trade dress in 08 or so. In another classic Soldier Boy Did It First moment, he had his version of uh, the Air Force 1 with a company called Yums and Nike sued them but and ultimately Nike dropped the case so i'm sure John Geiger's lawyers are looking into the details of all that kind of stuff of what happened there and why that case was ultimately dropped and for Geiger he you know he had success with his own model the 001 and i guess he i think he had another 002 but for whatever reason, he decided to do uh, Air Force One, you know, knockoff, I'll say. It's called the GF-01 that was inspired by the Air Force One. And he didn't hide that. He basically said it. But how he got into this, and this is the other thing I wanted to tie in, is it's ultimately Warren Lotus's fault that, that Geiger's in this, from what I can tell. Because Nike sued Warren Lotus for trademark infringement. In that case, you know, Warren ultimately settles... You know, they, in that one, Nike wanted all the records and everything. I don't know what happened. Maybe Warren Lotus did hand over everything. Whatever happened, Nike saw that this company, La La Land, in LA was making all the shoes. So that, you know, draws a line between Warren Lotus and La La Land. They look into La La Land and what they're doing. So then in January of this year, Nike sues them. And then later on in all the way into August is when John Geiger gets added to the case. So, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, went through everything that La La Land is making and that's where they saw Geiger. So either Warren Lotus is directly or indirectly responsible for Geiger getting added to this lawsuit, from what I can tell, me being a sneaker armchair lawyer here. And even though I'm not a huge fan of a lot of uh, Air Force One knockoffs that That I ultimately wouldn't wear. I'm not a fan of Nike going after small creators, you know, being a trademark bully. I understand in a case if someone is just kind of factory printing knockoffs and using fakes and that kind of stuff. So there's a fine line there, you know, go after those mass producers, those mass replicators, you know, the people that are making Instagram ads and mass producing custom Air Force Ones. You know, where there would be confusion in the marketplace if these are authentic Air Force Ones or not. But for someone who's a, you know, a small time creator like John Geiger, there's not going to be any confusion of if he's a mass producer or not. He's not pretending to be Nike. Another topic I wanted to touch on is I had a few tweets about sneakers and gatekeeping, that kind of got retweeted and screenshotted and shared on Instagram. Uh, I'll read the tweets here and I'll kind of go a little bit further into it. So one of the tweets was, no matter what anyone says about sneakers, you didn't need to be there. None of it matters. You're here now, however you got here, go have some fun. And it was followed up by another tweet that said, all sneaker gatekeepers eventually hate sneakers and what it has become and also keep on profiting from it as long as possible. They're not happy at all, they're miserable, making whatever they say utterly meaningless. So I've kind of talked about this on the pod before, maybe not on Twitter as much. My main thing is every generation should have its own thing. You know, the previous generation, you know, my generation should just accept that. I mean, there's no way they just, you know, blindly accepted what their parents said or thought was cool. And ultimately, what I'm basically talking about is the attitude you have towards the next generation. I got pretty nihilist there by saying none of it matters. You know, it doesn't matter if something used to sit and now flies. You know, the explanation is simple. It's shit is cyclical and supply and demand. That's the answer most of the time. You know, the answer shouldn't be it sat back then, so it should sit now. And the people listening to that, they don't give a shit. And I got some pushback saying, oh, it does matter, though. You know, if you have knowledge, share the knowledge. The people who want to seek it out will seek it out. I'm 43. People listen to this podcast or want to hear what I have to say on Twitter about sneakers. You know, if you know a lot about uh, Pata Air Max ones, cool. Someone out there is 19 and wants to hear all about what you got to say. A lot of people probably don't give a shit at all. But if you're out here saying the Pata Air Max ones are the greatest Air Max ones of all time, and nothing after that has been any good, and everyone who says the opposite is an idiot, that's the kind of shit where it's just like, no one gives a shit about that. And there might be things like that where you disagree with. For example, if you have white Air Force Ones and you get a scuff on them, right now everyone just you know, throws them out and gets new ones. And that's considered what you're supposed to do with and how you're supposed to wear white air force ones maybe the next generation will say let's wear them till they fall apart because buying multiple is wasteful and you know not good for planet earth or whatever i might disagree with that because that's all i know but i don't give a shit if they that's what they say and that that's what they want to do i'm not going to gatekeep some white air force ones and they're not going to give a shit what you have to say about it if they made it their own thing, it's ironic this gatekeeping stuff because all this loudly complaining about shit and how it used to be back then is the opposite of cool. And you're kind of holding on to something from the past, man. Uh, it's it's ultimately the, the you know the scream of someone becoming their parents, and that's the fucking lamest shit ever. And that's the opposite of cool. Finally, I'll talk about fakes a little bit. Really, I've talked about this before on a previous podcast. My take on fakes, if you haven't heard, is having one fake is like peeing in the swimming pool. It's going to taint the entire pool. Just like having one fake in your collection taints the entire collection. Everything at that point is suspect. If you have a friend and he says, I have a pair of fake Travis ones," check them out. And then the next day, he's wearing a pair of off-white dunks. You're automatically going to think maybe those off-white dunks are fake. That hoodie he's wearing, the E on the essentials is kind of falling off. Maybe that's fake. All of a sudden, everything is tainted. Everything about that person is fake. Just like you wouldn't dive into a pool filled with urine, you shouldn't dive into the world of fakes. Really, you got to question yourself, why would you want a fake? What is in your brain that's saying, I need that Travis one shoe, no matter what it takes, I don't care if it's fake. That's what you should be thinking about. What is the source of that thought process? Is it because that shoe is cool and you need to be cool? Is it because you really, really like that shoe and you can't afford it? And having something else just won't do. There is some sort of gap there that really is the answer. And what happens with that gap is people do all sorts of mental gymnastics and they create straw mans and shit like that just to justify why they're buying fakes, but they do not want to get to the root cause of why they are down this path. There's plenty of shit that's cool on the shelves right now. I always talk about the Prestos being my favorite summer shoe and I wore them all summer because I think that shoe is cool. And this all came again and I talked about it where. There's some video from uh, the wear tester guys who I thought were respectable and I don't really check in on their YouTube very often or a lot of YouTube, but they had a video for the Travis fragment ones highs and in the video, they're essentially endorsing fakes by saying, Hey, I can't tell the difference between this fake pair and the real pair. Therefore authenticators can't either. So. Why would someone want to buy the real pair when they can buy the fake pair? And they kept saying that point kind of, um, that this would kill resale. And they were sort of outraged that someone new into sneakers couldn't buy these Travis fragment ones. That shoe is not for people who are new into sneakers. No normal person wants that shoe for $4,000. The only people that want it are collectors and the rich. And that's by design. That's by Nike's design. They don't want to talk about the mental health aspect that I was talking about of why you would desire something no matter what. Instead, they were just kind of nudge, nudge, wink, endorsing fakes. What's crazy is all these YouTubers have access to super high quality fakes for some reason. I wonder how that is. And if they're so confident that it would pass StockX authentication, send it in. You know, the content machine needs to be fed. Do what you got to do to make the video to get the clicks. You know, you established yourself all these years talking about the traction on basketball shoes and shit like that, and now you want to advocate why little Johnny can't get a pair of Travis Fragment highs when he's a 17 years old, and the fakes are just as good? What are you telling little Johnny? You know, the, the content machine needs to be fed. If that's what you're doing, just say that. You know, I'm 100% independent. I'm not trying to get my name out there and creating content on a schedule. I don't have a team of people. The guy who replied to me on Twitter wasn't even the Nightwing guy. It was his team. And I'm not creating content based on search or likes. I'm creating content that I want to see. However, buy Sockjig socks when they release. Thank you. Yeah, theme music. You know, everybody likes this song, not just white people. Fun fact, I once saw The Killers open for a band called Stella Star, and there was probably like 30 people there. Jeez, after all that gatekeeping talk, he's gatekeeping The Killers now? Come on. Anyways, as you may know, I do a bit on Twitter called Mr. Brightside, and the premise of the bit is to make you feel better but the L. So... I usually make fun of the shoe or come up with the reasons why it's better that we didn't get the shoe. And so I figured I could do a podcast version. So I asked on Twitter for your worst sneaker L's and I'd find the bright side for it. I got a couple calls and another one came in a bit garbled so I couldn't include that one. Sorry about that. So let's kick it off. Back in college a few years ago, my best friend hit the OG Jordan 1 from the 10 drop uh, on sneakers off white Jordan ones. And we were in college and at the time they were selling for like 900, $950 for his size. He had a nine and a half, which is like a prime size. And I was telling him like, don't, don't sell it. Don't sell it. Just keep it forever basically. And he quick sold it for 950 bucks basically on a local meetup. And to this day, it's been, what, like three years now, two years now, something like that. I still bust his balls for it. So probably one of the biggest L's you could take. All right. That was pretty bad. Uh, that was the call from Anthony Vernaz at Vernasty. Thank you so much for that call. Let's see if we could find a bright side for that. You know, uh, first off, the sneaker game was pretty different in 2017. You know, back in 2017, the ceiling of what someone might spend on resale for sneakers might have been like three, 400 You know, I was talking about myself here. And, you know, for other people, it might have been max $1,000. So if you sold something for 950 and it was like local sale cash right away, you know, no matter what year it is, $1,000 is a lot of money. Um, but these kind of stories, you know... Really, it hurts at first, but eventually over the years it evens out. You know, sometimes you have these bad sales and then you have all a whole bunch of good sales in a row. And it's normal to remember the bad beats and not the quick wins, you know, just like in poker. But really what I wanted to talk about, the bright side I have is that this is college. And honestly, some of your best memories with your friends are formed in those years. And stories like this where you can bust someone's balls and laugh about it are a key part of that. So let's do some, uh, let's do some math here, some Steiner math here. I saw that the lowest ask of on both golden stock X were nine and a half is about 6,000 and most of the last sales have been 4,700 or so. So say just for an even number, you sold it today for $5,000 on goat. Your payout is usually around 4,400 after, you know, all the fees and stuff. So calculate the difference. If you subtract 4,400, you subtract the 950 that you got, and then say the cost of the shoe was 225, that comes out to $3,225 of what the profit that you potentially lost out on. So, say you have the next 50 years to tell this story with your college buddies, you know, you divide it by 50, that's $64.50 a year to tell this story for the next 50 years. So say there's six of you that are close college buddies and you all know the story and you all busted balls. All those guys are chipping into that, so you all get to laugh about the story and it's only costing each of you 1075 a year. You tell that story twice a year, it costs like five bucks, basically five, six bucks. So you're probably spending way more on snacks and beer each time. So you took that L, Or your buddy took that L, but you—if you amortize this telling of the story like it's a mortgage, it's like five bucks each time. And honestly, I pay five six bucks every time to have an awesome laugh with my buddies.
1: Yo, so my sneaker L that's gonna haunt me forever is the Solar Nike Air Yeezy Two. I hit them. I hit on them back in the day on Twenty One Mercer uh for those who don't remember that's when nike would be tweeting out an image of a shoe with like a keyword circled in the background and you would have to dm the keyword where your name is size and shit and that's how you would get your in-store reservation so tony mercer did it for the yeezys and they was doing some sneaky stuff where it, they would post a picture at the 17 minute mark close their dms at the 23 but people were finding out that yo if you were to dm at the 21 minute mark that's how you hit So I'm like, bet. I made 19 Twitters. I DM'd all them shits. I hit on a pair. I trade them two months later for 01 Bread 11s, 06 French Blue 12s, 08 Carmine 6s, 08 Hair 7s, and $700. And every pair has retro since. Matter of fact, the Bread 11s retro that same fucking year in 2012.
0: All right. That was a call from Brandon Fernandez. Thank you for the call and for taking it back to the Nike hashtag Twitter days. You know, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, we're all the way back in 2012 now. That's when the the Yeezy Solar 2s came out. And, you know, when I first heard this call, I laughed too. So I guess that's the first Mr. Brightside when most people will hear this. They'll delightfully chuckle like I did. But I can do better than that. And first I want to say these multi-trades are almost always a bad call. You know, think of it like sports trades. What's the headline going to say? Uh, you know, if Shohei Ohtani is traded for four players and multiple draft picks, the headline is going to say, Ohtani has been traded. It's not going to say, you know, this team got four players and multiple draft picks. In sports and in sneakers, you want the shoe that's going to make the headline. And of course, it's going to be the easy 2 that makes the headline here. The part about Bread 11's restocking that later in the same year is pretty funny. And that's the thing with all these Jordan... Retros and, and, you know, in the color ways that you grew up with, they will come back. You know, the cycle could be three years. It could be six years. It could be like 10, 15 years, but it will come back. So, you know, learn the lesson from this call. Don't trade some good shoe that you have right now for some Toro fours or, uh, thunder fours when, you know, lightning fours just came back. So the good shoes, they will come back. The good colorways, they will come back. That's Jordan Brand's entire formula. And just like the seller in the previous call, you gotta know what kind of seller you are um, or if you're gonna wear the shoe. Most likely the plan was to always sell and you gotta ask yourself, are you built for holding or are you built for quick flipping? You know, this debate has gone on since back in 2012 and it still happens now. You know, some people just quick flip everything, reinvest the money and keep it going. Others have the capital to hold and say, you know, once the market dries up, they have held all these shoes and now they can reap the rewards. And, you know, both are fine. Most people actually do both versions of it for some shoes. And you really, you got to pick the one that suits your personality. If you're more built for quick flipping, you can't easily switch streams to become a long holder. You can, but of course there's a cost. And the cost I'm talking about here is the mental tax that you have to pay. So, the, the bright side is that you did not have to pay the mental tax of having a pair of EZ2s all this time. You know, you didn't have to check prices daily, wondering if it's time to sell now. You didn't have to deal with a wife or a girlfriend or someone asking you, hey, have you sold that expensive shoe yet? You know, if you sold it, that would pay for that trip to Hawaii. Um, or worse, if it was like some bullshit like uh, you know, that'll pay for painting the fence or uh, fixing the dryer. You know, imagine selling a sneaker, having cash in your pocket and then sending all that money to Costco. What a waste! And the other one was, if say you did keep it pristine and you had held it all the way till now, and you sold it on Stockx and you made the money, made the $5,000 like uh, the previous call, that authenticator doesn't know that most of these shoes Yeezy the 2s are crumbling now. I heard a story once where someone sold an old shoe. The authenticator like, you know, poked the sole with his finger to check the firmness. And you know his finger kind of went through the hole and put a dent in it. And then it failed authentication. You saved yourself a whole bunch of trouble of having some idiot StockX guy poking a hole in your Yeezy 2, failing authentication, and then sending it back to you Worse than you sold it. So really, you saved yourself from having to deal with any of that. You got four sneakers that you could wear and you got cash in your pocket. And hopefully you didn't spend it at Costco.
1: Hey, Sockjug. I need a Mr. Brightside for buying a shoe after a release date only to find out a couple of months later that the shoe is much cheaper on resale markets and you spent too much money on it. Although you still love it, you could have got it much cheaper.
0: That call was from Max. Thank you very much for the call. From the call, it wasn't really clear if you got the shoe for retail and now it's just a brick. Or you paid resale and then say it restocked or something and the price went down. You know, the most important part is, like you said, you still love the shoe. So, uh, you know, it's still nice to have a cool shoe that you like. But sometimes you just got to charge it to the game. And really, that's your Mr. Brightside right there. You get to use the phrase, charge it to the game. You know, anyone who uses that phrase instantly has some sort of wisdom that other people don't and has kind of been through it all. Plus, you sound like some sort of badass getting to use, you know, charge it to the game as if you're a drug dealer or something. But really, you know, we're talking about uh, a clot Air Max One or something dumb like that. So use that phrase, say it as often as you can, get the most out of it charge it to the game for the last one today it was actually submitted in the dms today from tron Fu on twitter tron wanted a mr brightside because he got exclusive access for travis scott ones from nike and he copped it and 12 days later they canceled the order and you know he he cast the question how do you run out of stock for exclusive access so i i think i could do a mr brightside for this too uh first off You should ask for a discount code when something like this happens and you, I've heard of people getting all the way up to a 50% off, but you know, they might've capped it at that now at say 20% off or 25 or whatever. And this, you know, the Travis Scott ones came out in 2019, I think. And so I would've just went on nike.com and bought as many air force ones that I could have back then, uh, with my 50% off coupon. sold them all on goat and tried to make as much of that money back as I possibly could. The other bright side is, you know, uh, people don't always think about this, but you do get to actively complain about it for weeks to everyone. You know, you get to complain about it on Twitter, uh, in replies to friends, parents, basically anyone who will pretend to listen to you, you get to complain. And it is kind of therapeutic to get it off your chest to tell that story again and again. But... That's not a great Mr. Brightside, so I think I have one. And my bright side for you is let me substitute your pain with my own story that is very similar to yours. So back in, you know, similar to the first color back in 2017, I had exclusive access to the 10s off white Chicago one. It was supposed to release the following week and they were doing a few rounds of exclusive access on sneakers, uh, the days leading up to the release. I get the notification. I rush to check out, you know, all my info is already saved. I'd already gotten something with the same information, you know, weeks ago, back when I could easily buy things on sneakers. So I click buy now and I get that, you know, that prompt that comes up. Let's try this again. There was an error processing your payment or whatever it says. I try again. I try everything. I try a different payment, a different card, a different address a different size, everything. Nothing's working out. we we'll just get that same error over and over and over again. And I remember that it was on like a Saturday, so I tried the Nike chat, and I knew the Nike chat was going to be useless, but I tried it anyways. I think they eventually just said that they would have to contact the, the Nike Elite customer service, but they're not open until Monday. And by then, the exclusive access is going to expire. So I sat there. Frustrated, staring at that d- dumb app, trying to check out, you know, still trying hours later, even though I know it was going to work. Uh, and I sat there and I watched it expire, you know, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. You know, eventually the the elite customer service got back to me and basically said, uh, once the first payment didn't go through, it basically flagged the account and nothing would have worked afterwards. And, you know... We'd love to give you a shoe, but of course we don't have anything in stock to give you, so here's a 20% coupon or whatever they gave back then. So that's my worst L. Hopefully that eases your pain a bit. You know, Travis Scott ones, uh, missing out on those does suck, but it's not Chicago Off-White ones. So recording all those Mr. Brightsides got me thinking of all the pain that we go through as sneakerheads. You know, we're all kind of used to it by now, and it always becomes more evident when, you know, other things start to sell, like those uh, Telfair bags or PlayStation 5s, and, you know, the the gamers get to get an idea of what sneakerheads go through, basically, on a daily basis. So, I figured I'd make a list of all the pain that sneakerheads go through. These are the sneaker Sneaker pain pain rankings. rankings. But first, some honorable mentions. First one I have is when the shoes quality sucks. When you get it in hand, you had high hopes for the shoe. You got, you know, duped by the kith filter or whatever it is. And you see it in hand and it looks like, you know, a burlap sack. Another honorable mention when you ruin a shoe or get a scuff in that you just can't remove, it could be one of your favorites. Uh, you know, it could be something that's irreplaceable that, you know, is not going to restock another one probably only for canadian uh listeners and uh international listeners are duties sucks when you buy a shoe uh you know you paid say 250 300 and then you got to pay another like 150 in duties uh because UPS wants uh half that for their brokerage fee another honorable mention i just have the footlocker site i guess that includes all the foot sites that footlocker site gives people a special kind of pain, manual, and it gives even botters uh, a special kind of pain. Next honorable mention, getting banned from a site or store. Uh, You know, you get this kind of whole thing where it's like, me? Banned? For real? I'm innocent, though. I've been banned once on a site, but, you know, eventually I guess they just deleted it and I was able to buy from there again. Last honorable mention is when a friend asks you, to cop and you cop uh, and you pay for it, and then they're like, Oh shit, I got it too. So now you're stuck with a shoe that you don't want. That's probably not even in your size. You know, I know everyone who's had to go through this, so eventually you just stop offering. Number oh, 10 When you miss on a shoe that you really wanted, you know, this sounds kind of simple and plain, but you really do need to acknowledge. The kind of daily grind that we go through trying to buy limited sneakers. Uh, like I mentioned the other world, the, the PS fives, the gamers, they don't understand this world at all, but the sneakerheads were in this world all the time and you just kind of get used to that dull pain, you know, you get things from, you know, never getting out of the queue or just, you know, a shoe you really wanted and it sold out right. When you clicked place order, you know, sometimes you realize you have One last chance, there's one store left, and they're going to restock. Uh, And, you know, they they didn't use bot protection or whatever, and the stuff just flies. Uh, And you realize, that's it. That was my last chance. And you kind of do the Charlie Brown walk home in your head until you finally convince yourself to pay resale. Which leads to... Number Number 9. Resellers and botters. It's kind of funny how uh, brands and even YouTubers have kind of people convinced that the resellers and botters are the real boogeyman and that they're the source of the problem in the world. And without them, the demand would magically meet the supply and we'd all be wearing fragment Travis ones because Nike made 10 million of them somehow. But then again, botters and resellers don't really make it easy to like them either, Uh, you know, with their fancy collages and elaborately staged flex photos. Uh, You know, uh, some people's entire online persona is flexing and some people's entire online persona is hating resale. So, you know, for most of us, we've kind of already just accepted that resellers and botters are kind of part of the game and this is the kind of battlefield that you have to play within. But everyone is a reseller these days. I'm sure you've sold something on StockX or Goat. So, you know, that's why we can't put this higher than it is. Number eight, everyone got the sneaker except you. <laughs> this is a, this is a special kind of pain when there's a huge drop, like say the the union four, um, or, you know, these off-white, uh, exclusive access dunks, you know, when everyone gets it and you just never got out of the queue. I, I know I kind of summarized that in, in number 10, but this one is a special kind of pain, especially when like you're your discord nemesis cops and you didn't. And now you got to see their flex photo and you're like, ah, fuck that guy. And you're just sitting there like Isaiah Thomas in the last dance, you know, I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. Number seven, when you sell a shoe and then later it goes way up in price. You know, we covered this mostly in our, uh, Mr. Brightside segments. With the Yeezy 2 and the Chicago Off-White. You know, the opposite of this is when you cop for a steal on GOAT, but it doesn't ship. Number Number six. six. Raffles. Raffles are a shit ton of work. You know, you gotta remember to enter. You gotta tag people. You gotta do all kinds of shit that they do on IG. You gotta deal with sneakers and the draw and being awake in time to enter within the, the time window. And the magic formula of how they select winners is never transparent, as we've covered before. So you never know what the hell's happening on a raffle. Not to mention, you have to deal with raffle bots, another boogeyman that appears sometimes that you have to deal with on the battlefield. Number five. Getting scammed. You know, sometimes it's you getting scammed, or it could be a friend getting scammed. It sucks to go through. You know, you didn't scam... You're not the one at fault here. You're the victim in this. However, most of the time, the person who got scammed made at least one mistake that they shouldn't have. Either you knew it was too good to be true, uh, you gifted when you shouldn't have gifted, you should have asked for the invoice. You know, I would count all fakes as part of this too. When you find out you bought a shoe as authentic and you find out it's fake, Uh, that is being scammed as well. Hopefully you get your money back, and hopefully you did not gift money to a dude named Absalom. Number four. When you cop a shoe and you get the confirmation, but it gets canceled. You know, you had it in your grasp, it was confirmed, and then it's pulled from you. You know it's bad when you'd almost rather get the out-of-stock message on place order button than having it confirmed and then pulled from you. Number Number three. three. When you camp out, but still don't get the shoe. I'm not even sure if camping out is a thing anymore because of the pandemic, but I always remember hearing stories of people who camped out all night, stayed there, got to the front, and, you know, the, the store guy says we only have sizes uh, 9 and 10 and 13. And so, you know, you hopefully you can get the 13 and flip it for your size 8, which, <laughs> you know, never works out, but there's always someone who does try Or you don't get your size at all, which sucks. And we saw this recently too with the Joe Fresh goods drop, uh, the pop-up drop in Chicago where, you know, people were camped out, some people overnight, some people showed up in the morning and then were in line for hours and hours in the blazing hot sun. You know, either they didn't get their shoe because of all the shenanigans that went on there, or even if you did get your shoe after six, seven hours of standing in line, it's like... Would you rather have just paid $400 for the shoes on GOAT instead of eight hours of your time? For me, I'd rather pay the $400 and wait in line for eight hours. But you know, if you're 19 and you're going with a bunch of friends, uh, you're going to have a different answer. So really, the lesson in number three here is learning the value of your time and what is it worth to you. Number two. The damn sneakers app. I know this might sound like an upset that it should be number one, but it's number two on my list. That app is just a ministry of pain. What's amazing about that app is they invent new ways for you to get the L. Uh, you know, this exclusive Access 50, and they release articles about all the criteria, and still at the end you didn't get access, but every dipshit you know who... Uh, Created an account yesterday, somehow got access, but you didn't. Number one. When your sneakers are lost or stolen. This is the worst sneaker pain that I could think of. You did everything you could. You copped. You got the email. You got the shipping confirmation. And then FedEx stole it. Or you made it all the way through this battlefield. You beat the bots. You got the email. You got shipping confirmation. FedEx didn't steal it. It made it to your porch, and some bozo walking down the street took it. You know, it's a it's a true violation in that, you know, you went through all the process that we talked about, all the pain that we went through. Somehow you dodged and avoided all that shit, and then right at your front door it was taken. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, all of a sudden I'm uh, Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And that's why getting your sneaker stolen is number one on the sneaker pain rankings. All right, that was a fun list to go through. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you think I missed anything, let me know. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend. You know, I get it. It's not always easy to add a new podcast to the rotation. But I really do think I bring something different to the table than other shows. So tell your friends to listen and subscribe. And in the meantime, and in between time... Go fuck yourself.